I don't know if you have noticed in history, but it seems that every generation is tempted to try and coast on the efforts and the successes of the previous generation. They try to get along by simply riding on the coattails of the people who've come before without exerting the same degree of effort and commitment and sacrifice. And as a result, every generation is in danger of becoming less effective and less influential than the generation before. When a new generation comes along and they simply reap the benefits and the comforts that others have sacrificed to put in place, they don't have the same level of appreciation for those things because they weren't the ones who made the sacrifices. And this same thing happens in a spiritual sense as well. Each generation tends to drift further and further from the moorings of the generations who've come before. It doesn't seem like much at the time. It's rarely big changes. It's rarely noticeable driftings away. And yet as you look back through history, especially spiritual history, you don't even have to look further than our own nation to see how the generation that you and I live in is in deep trouble compared to generations before us. There's a constant danger that great successes for God will be followed by periods of spiritual stagnation and decline, all because the current generation fails to remember and appreciate the price that was paid before they came along. And so there's a constant need for for people to stop and remember why we are where we are so that spiritual fervor and commitment will not dwindle and die. And that's exactly how the book of Joshua closes. We're continuing our study through the entire Bible. We come today to the final chapter in the book of Joshua. And a couple of weeks ago when we were in this book, since that time until these final two chapters, the chapters in between reveal to us that the Israelites have now conquered their enemies in the promised land. The land has been divided up and given to the people, and everyone is now enjoying a time of peace, according to Joshua chapter 23, verse 1. They were settling down. They were enjoying life. It was an exciting time of prosperity and hope and blessings, but it was also a dangerous time. Because when people get comfortable, they tend to get complacent. And that's why, as Joshua is about to die, he gathers the leaders and the people together in chapters 23 and 24, and he gives them his final instructions. And listen, they are instructions that you and I need to hear today in 2020. But Joshua doesn't just tell them to serve the Lord He tells them why they should devote themselves to the Lord. He tells them why they should follow the Lord all the days of their lives. And to show them the many reasons why they should do this, he gives them a quick recap of their history. All the way back from the call of Abraham that we looked at in Genesis chapter 12, 
right up until where they are now in the promised land. And the reason he does this will become clear as we look at these verses is not to highlight what they did. It's to highlight what God has done on their behalf. Joshua's speech has as its focus the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God to his people. In verses 2 through 13 of chapter 24, he reminds everyone that Abraham, their great forefather, and his father Terah and their whole family had been idol worshipers. In chapter 24, verse 2, it says, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. See, Abraham was not a godly man. He was a pagan. He was an idol worshiper. He was a heathen. And it's a reminder of where we all begin had it not been for God's amazing grace. All of us would still be heathens. We would still be pagans. We would still be lost in sin and darkness. Verse 3 tells us that God reached out and took Abraham from his dark, lost condition, serving other gods, and drew him into a relationship with the one true and living God. It says, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan. And it goes on to recount how God began to enlarge Abraham's family. And he multiplied, the the last part of verse 3 says, and he multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. And to Esau, I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. And what Joshua is beginning to do here is he's reminding the people that God always keeps his promises. God took this elderly couple, Abraham and Sarah, who were unable to have children, and he said to them in Genesis 12, in those first four famous verses that we studied, he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. It was an impossible promise, because the Bible tells us that Sarah was barren. She could not have children. Who would say such a thing to a woman who is unable to have children? Not only that you'll have a child, but your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Seems like a rather unkind thing, unless it's God speaking. Because God overrides obstacles that present themselves before us in life that seem impossible to cross. And so God took this couple who couldn't have children And he not only gave them a child, he eventually gave them millions of descendants. And what Joshua is doing here at the end of his life is he's pointing the people back. And he's saying, God has kept his promises. From the very beginning, the first one that he made to Abraham, we see now you are the result of the promise of God being fulfilled. All these millions of people now in the promised land Of course, we've already studied what happened after Abraham had Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Joseph and so on. The Israelites spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. But even from that dark time, we see that God 
brought them out. Verse 5, Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did there, and afterward I brought you out. And once again, Joshua is building this theme, and we see the goodness and the faithfulness of God along every step of their journey. And this faithfulness is repeated again and again all the way through verse 13. I won't show you slides for all these verses. I'll just hit them quickly. But we see God says in verse 6, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Verse 7, I brought you through the Red Sea when the Egyptian army was pursuing you. You saw with your own eyes what I did. Verse 8, the Amorites attacked you, but I destroyed them and gave them into your hand. Verse 9, Balak, the king of Moab, fought against you, and Balaam tried to curse you. Verse 10, but I delivered you from his hand. Verse 11, the men of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, but I gave them all into your hand. Verse 12, I sent the hornet before you, which drove out the two Amorite kings. And finally, right up to the present time, in verse 13, he says, I gave you a land which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. And in these few verses, we get a remarkable snapshot of the unfailing faithfulness of God. And what we must not miss in these verses are the words that are used. God says it wasn't you who made any of this happen. Again and again in these verses, God says, I led, I multiplied, I gave, I sent, I brought, I did, I fought, I delivered. Do you get the picture? For hundreds of years, it was God who had been with them every step of the way, calling them, leading them, delivering them, protecting them, fighting for them, providing for them, blessing them. Joshua had already said back in chapter 23, verse 14, these remarkable words, and now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Oh, that we could forever etch those words into our heart and soul so that we would never lose sight of God's faithfulness. Listen, we'll never be able to fully and joyfully devote ourselves to the service of the Lord and to following him out of merely a cold sense of guilt and obligation to do so. You cannot force anyone to faithfully follow the Lord. And if we're trying to live our Christian lives out of a sense of duty and burden and obligation Our gas tank is going to run empty very, very soon, and we're going to find ourselves out of the race altogether. If we're going to move forward in faithful service to God and joyful service to God, it will only be when our heart is filled with wonder and gratitude 
for God's unfailing love and faithfulness. That is the fuel that ought to ignite our engine and propel us forward in devotion for him. I wonder, when is the last time we paused and recounted God's faithfulness? When is the last time we stopped and added up his goodness? Even when things are bad. Before Joshua dies, he's saying God has been so faithful to you all along the way. Not one of his words has failed. So what kind of service does such a God deserve? Well, Joshua answers that in verse 14 of chapter 24. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. That word truth can also be rendered faithfulness. It just means to be unwavering. Serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. This is the service that God deserves. Sincere service. Faithful, truthful service. He doesn't want half-hearted service. He will not accept false service. Joshua is calling the Israelites as they've taken possession of the promised land and they've seen the faithfulness of God. He's calling them to be faithful to God. How often do we fail to make that connection? We talk about the faithfulness of God sometimes. But we must not stop there because his faithfulness ought to cause us to move on to the next step, which is faithfulness to God. That is what he deserves. He deserves for us to serve him with all sincerity in every area of our life. But what does sincere and truthful and faithful service to God look like? Well, the last part of verse 14 Joshua says, put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Wow, this seems to come out of nowhere. When you think back on our studies about all the warnings that have been given to these people over the years by God, by Moses, by Joshua, get rid of the idols, get rid of the false gods you're hanging on to. Now they've come into the promised land. They're enjoying the goodness and blessings of God. They're enjoying rest from their enemies. They're eating food they didn't plant. They're living in houses they didn't build. Surely, by now, this would not have to be said to these people. But here we are. The end of Joshua's life, and what are they still messing around with? Idols. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river. Listen, true service to God cannot be mixed with any other gods. Our allegiance to God cannot be diluted with an allegiance to the world. This is why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for service in my kingdom. Because it's, a, it's an uncertainness that that he's talking about. I, I want to follow God, but I want to hold on to my past as well. Can't be done. This God who has been so faithful to these people, despite their grumbling, despite their complaining, 
despite their waywardness and rebellion, this God deserves their fully devoted service to him. And the same is true of us, folks. God, in his kindness, has called us out of slavery into the freedom of his Son. God, in his kindness and goodness, has rescued us from sin and brought us into his righteousness. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's been so faithful to us. And guess what? We don't deserve it at all. So surely we ought to be eager to put away our idols and serve him in sincerity and truth. But we struggle with this, don't we? You say, what are you talking about? I don't have idols at my house. I don't bow down to stone images, and I don't have things set up in my backyard that I pray to. What are you talking about? Yeah, come on. You know what I'm talking about. We all know in here. Those things that compete for loyalty, compete for trust in, compete for our devotion with God. Put away the idols. Serve me in sincerity. This is what God deserves. Is this not exactly what the New Testament calls us to do and for the same reasons Joshua gave the Israelites? Can I remind you of such a well-known verse Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. This is saying the same thing to us. Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy, in other words, considering everything he's done for you, our reasonable response, our reasonable service should be to present ourselves as a complete sacrifice to him. You see, when a sacrifice was made in the Old Testament, they didn't just sacrifice part of the animal and let the rest of it sort of hobble away. It was a total sacrifice. And Paul is making a very reasonable statement here in light of all that God has done for us. As one person sort of interpreted the last phrase of Romans 12:1, the least we can do is to give ourselves as complete sacrifices to him. It's the least we can do. It's our reasonable service. And then in verse 2 of Romans 12, he says exactly what Joshua said in the last part of Joshua 24:14. And do not be conformed to this world. There's the idols. You can't fully devote yourself in sacrificial service to God and be conformed to the world. You can't do it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He's saying you, you can't serve God fully if you're conforming to the world in any way. If you've got any idols that you're holding on to. But I want to tell you, living that kind of sincere, faithful, truthful, fully devoted life of service to the Lord that he deserves will not happen by accident. You will not stumble into that kind of life. 
You will not live a life of faithful service to God just because your parents were godly people or your grandparents. This is one area of life you and I cannot ride the coattails of those who've come before. It just doesn't work that way. Thank God if we've had a godly heritage. I have. I thank God for it regularly. But it does not automatically bring me into a life of fully devoted service to the Lord. It doesn't happen by accident. It, re- accident. it requires a choice. It requires a choice. Joshua 24, 15. We know this verse so well, but hear it again for the first time. Joshua says to the people, but if it seems evil to you or undesirable to you to serve the Lord. First of all, can we just pause there and and consider what a ridiculous proposition this is? After everything that Joshua has just said in verses 2 through 13, And in chapter 23 that we don't even have time to look at, it's a repeat of chapter 24. It's just another layer of icing on this incredible cake that these people are enjoying now. All these benefits and blessings, this rich history for hundreds of years of seeing God's faithfulness again and again, his provision, his goodness, his kindness, despite their stubbornness. And Joshua has to say to these people, if it's undesirable for you to serve the Lord? He says to them, then choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. And by the way, neither of those were a good choice, and the people knew it. They reveal it by their own words a little later in the chapter. The gods of the Egyptians, well, they couldn't protect the people from the God of heaven. The gods of the Amorites, they'll tell later on in this chapter, the Amorites have already been defeated. Their gods couldn't protect you from the God of heaven. What kind of choice is this? It's like saying, would you like a hot now Krispy Kreme donut? Or would you like me to punch you in your right ear or punch you in your left ear? This is exactly what he's saying. This is, this is not even a choice. It shouldn't even be a choice. And then Joshua makes this statement we've all heard. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice Joshua did not say, will you serve God? He said, which God will you serve? Because the simple fact is, everybody serves something. Everybody worships something. And I'm including people who've never set foot in a church building in their life. I'm including people who've never sung a praise song in their life. They are worshipers. God created us to be worshipers. Explorers have dug through the depths of the most remote parts on earth They've gone through jungles. They've discovered peoples living there who've never seen an outsider. They've never seen a Bible. They've never seen a church building. You know what they find every single time? All over the world, those people worship. 
They worship trees, they worship rivers, they worship the crocodile, the sun, idols, you name it, because we can't not worship. That's why Joshua doesn't say to them, are you going to worship someone or something? He says, who, who are you going to worship? Who are you going to serve? Listen, folks, an important truth. If we're not serving God, there will be something else we put in his place. It could be money. It could be a relationship. It could be the pursuit of pleasure or prominence, position, power, Ferraris. I got to be careful on that one. They're just so spectacular. Come on. It's, it's like it's better than looking at a Rembrandt. I mean, it's just a work of art. See, anything, anything in life can become something that we worship because we are going to worship something. So I ask you, what is it that you are tempted to put in God's place? Well, that's kind of a softball question. Can I get a little bit more real with you? Right now, today, this morning, in this moment, what are you putting in God's place? Because the real question we face every day is not, am I going to worship and serve anything today, but rather, who or what am I going to worship and serve today? If we're honest, we have to say that what really motivates some of our decisions is not what would please God in this moment, but what would please me in this moment. And what we're doing in those little, subtle, almost unnoticeable moments of life is we are setting God out of the picture, out of the decision, out of the equation, and we're putting ourselves on his throne. And we're saying, I'm going to do what feels good to me right now. I'm going to pursue this path right now, even though I know it's going to potentially bring harm to me, to my family, to our church, to my future, I'm going to do it anyway. Because right now, I'm God in my life. I'm worshiping me. It always comes down to a choice. You know, I catch myself sometimes using the phrase still from the old days about someone falling into sin. And I really, I, I just wrestle with that. It's still something I'm working on. Is it possible to fall into sin? The older I get, I don't think it is. I think it's a choice every time. Now, I'd rather not say that because when I mess up, then I've blown my loophole. I can't go, well, I just fell into sin. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, you know what? I did mean to. You do mean to. It's a choice. We're going to serve something every day of our lives, every moment of every day of our lives. That's why Joshua told the people to choose. And Joshua makes clear his, his own choice. He's very clear about it. He's very public about it when he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I realize that that's the phrase in this chapter that pastors always focus on in their sermons, and rightly so, understandably so. It's an important statement that deserves to be dissected and considered and studied and applied. But that's not my focus today. You can find a thousand sermons on that, I'm sure, if you want one today. It's not my focus 
Because we're getting ready to move into the book of Judges and the response that the people give here in Joshua 24 ties directly into the results that we'll see in the book of Judges. So that's what I want us to think about this morning. Not the response Joshua gave, but the response that the people give because this is going to set them up for generations to come. Did you know that one decision on your part can have a domino effect for generations to come. And man, when we get into Judges, it is some hair-raising stuff. It's one of the ugliest books in the Bible. It is harsh. It is brutal. But there is such a powerful, beautiful picture of God's redemption and grace that runs all the way through that book. And I can't wait for us to get into that. However, I will take just a minute and say that the church in America today is in desperate need of men and women who will stand up and unashamedly say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Our homes, our churches, our government desperately need leaders who will stand up and boldly and unflinchingly say, I'm not going to be swayed by the winds of public opinion. I'm not going to cower in the face of threats or hostility. I'm not going to be pressured into violating my convictions. You can oppose me all you want to. You can put me to death. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God help us, we need that in this country today. And when Joshua makes this bold proclamation, the people immediately respond in verses 16 to 18, like when people immediately respond to something with unbridled enthusiasm, it's generally a warning that they haven't sat down and counted the cost first. In verses 16 to 18, the people immediately respond, yes, us too. We're going to serve the Lord too. We recognize his faithfulness and goodness to us over all these years. We're going to serve him too because he's our God, they say. Well, that was their claim anyway. Those kinds of quick, insincere responses are very, very easy to give. The problem is Joshua knows these people, and he knows they're not sincere. So look at what he says to them in verse 19 of Joshua 24. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. Uh Uh-oh. You ever hear one of those scratches on the old record there? That's what that is there. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Yes, us too, we'll serve the Lord. You're not able to. You can't do it. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. What in the world is going on here? Why does Joshua seem to invite these people to make the right choice and then he he seems to turn on them like this? Joshua knows that the people are not able to serve the Lord. And how does he know that? Well, the answer is in verse 23. Joshua said, Now therefore, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Uh Uh-oh. Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Joshua knew that these people had secretly taken idols from the cities that they had fought against and conquered. They'd gone through the homes 
They'd perhaps gone to the high places, the places of worship, and they'd said, ooh, that, that statue looks nice. I'm just going to take that and home and put it up on my mantle above the fireplace. He knew that they had taken these gods. They had them in, in their possession, and not only that, that they were turning to them for reliance, praying to them, if you will. See, at the, at the public worship service, if you will, at this public meeting where these people are, they were quick to exclaim their loyalty to God. But behind the scenes, they had hidden things in their lives that God had explicitly told them to get rid of. We don't ever do that, though, do we, in 2020? Thankfully, that's not a problem for us. We come here, we worship, we sing. Oh, it's so easy to respond. Yes, I'm in. Count me in. I'm going to serve the Lord faithfully. And we don't even make it to the car before we've blown it. We get home and our eyes are blind to the things in our own home that are idols drawing us away from God or where they mostly reside is right here in our heart, privately. We've got them tucked away. It's that room in your house that visitors are never allowed to see. The door's always closed. What's in there? Oh, you're not allowed to ask. That's, that's our hidden room. That's our junk room. We've all got one of those in our heart. That place where we think is going to be fine. Well, I've got the door closed, so it's fine. Out of sight, out of mind. No, it's not. God says to us what he said to the people through Joshua. Not so quick now. You're not able to serve me. Why? Something wrong with me? No, dude. You've got idols in your life. You can't serve both. You have to choose. So Joshua digs beneath the surface here like any good, loving, caring leader would do. He says, I know you say you're going to serve the Lord, but until you deal with the sinful things in your life, you'll never be able to serve him. And by the way, when he says at the end of verse 19, God will not forgive your transgressions or your sins, he's not denying the ability or the willingness of God to forgive. He's simply saying, you can't ask God to forgive you while you refuse to abandon the very thing you're asking forgiveness for. Now, maybe I'm being a little too harsh on these people because after all, we're told down in verse 31 that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. But look at the wording of that verse as we wrap this up. I just want you to look at the wording of that verse. There's, there's an ominous sense of foreboding in those words, isn't there? There's a hint that, yes, they served the Lord for a generation. But what then? Well, we'll see what then in the coming weeks when we get into the book of Judges. But the real question is, and I want to end with this today, the real question is, how are we serving God? Is it a sincere and faithful service, or are we still holding on to things that displease him? Again, I, I don't mean statues on your mantle or in your backyard. I mean relationships, actions, thoughts, desires, motives, attitudes, can I say it again? No one faithfully 
serves the Lord by accident? No one. Sincere, faithful service to God is an ongoing choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua could have just as easily and just as rightly gotten up the very next day and told them the same thing. And the next day, and the next, and the next, and the next. It is an ongoing thing. We're saved once, but it's a fight from then on, folks. It's a fight with this stuff right here, this flesh. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this body of sin? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Hey, what were crosses used for? They were used to put people to death. I want to tell you, church, there are some things you and I will have to put to death every single day of our lives if we are going to faithfully follow God. Not everything. Thank God there are some things that maybe we battled with at some point in life, but as we grow in Christ, our faith increases, we get a few, a few more scars along the way, some of those things just tend to disappear like in a rearview mirror. Thank God for that. They just fall off. Some things now that, that bothered me 20 years ago, I look back and go, what a dummy I was for wasting time on that. But listen, listen, there are some things that you're going to have to put to death every day of your life. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You may have hit a home run for God yesterday, but today you've got to put those idols and temptations and old desires to death all over again. Choose you this day whom you will serve. I pray that that choice for us would be constantly motivated by a heart that is filled with gratitude as we constantly remind ourselves of how good and faithful God has been to us. Have you taken time to do that recently? Do you find that the Christian life has become this burdensome grind for you? Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to live the Christian life? Do you just feel like you don't have the desire, the passion, the love to do that? Maybe what you need to do is to pause for a while and fill your mind and heart up again with a reminder of how good and faithful God has been to you. And then step out and serve him in sincerity and truth. Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. 
Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Open the eyes of my heart.